with the latest in breaking news and information from the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious, it's fun, it's your Catholic drive time. And welcome to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Today is Thursday, November 9th, 2023, the Feast of Our Lady of Almudina. Now, this story begins roughly 300 years before the miracle even took place in Madrid, Spain, during the 11th century, when King Alphonse VI reconquered Madrid from the Moors. He immediately sought to purify the old church of Santa Maria, which they had desecrated because the Moors had probably turned it into a mosque. Now, the faithful were afflicted because they could not find the statue of the Virgin Mary that had been there before the Moorish domination. It was a special statue that had been brought to Madrid by the Apostle St. James himself. Thus, the people and the clergy organized a procession around the city in which they begged our Lord to find the statue. The commitment to those people, to these people, to preserve and not just accept it as a loss is something that I think we all can learn from not to give up, not to lose hope. They value the statue so much that they would process through an entire town. And Lord knows what else they would have done if it was not located as soon as it was. It goes to show the esteem in which they viewed Our Lady and the statue dedicated to her likeness. It also shows the confidence they had in Our Lord, that they are willing to do an act, a public act of admiration to Almighty God, asking to reveal where the statue was instead of using and relying on human efforts. Now, the pious procession went around the city walls as people chanted and fervently recited prayers, asking God in his divine mercy to show them where the statue was hidden. As the procession passed by a certain place, the desired miracle happened. Parts of the wall collapsed and they found the virgin statue that had been hidden there for more than 300 years. It was illuminated by the two lamps which past Christians had placed there before closing off the niche where it was hidden. Now, think about that for a second. Those lamps were placed there 300 years by the Christians. And when the wall collapsed, revealing where the statue was hidden, it was still lit. Now, some might say it was just a lucky coincidence that the wall hiding the statue suddenly collapsed, but this wasn't just some random wall either. It was a key part of a fortress designed to keep the invaders out. It would not simply crumble in on itself. Our Lady wonderfully rewarded two things. First, the faith of those crusader warriors who found the statue. They made great efforts to find the statue by their procession around the city, and they confided in the value of prayer. Secondly, they understood the importance of returning the statue to her place to make proper reparation. The reason for the procession was to undo the Moors' work, making reparation for the sins that they had committed by their occupation. This is the same level of confidence that Our Lady is asking of you and I. That whenever scripture refers to the remnant shall return, it means that the remnant of the faithful Catholics will return even after being utterly defeated and crushed and trusting souls, two lamps must continually burn next to this confidence. 
There, the lamp symbolizing the conviction of the irreversibility of the Immaculate Heart of Mary's reign, as she promised at Fatima, finally, my Immaculate Heart will triumph. So what do we ask for on the Feast of Our Lady of Al-Mudina? Well, let's ask her for confidence in prayer and confidence in Our Lady and to trust her that no matter what happens, she will be faithful to her promises as long as we are faithful to her. Our Lady of Al-Mudina, pray for us. Joining us right now is Rudy Carlos. Good morning to you, Rudy. Good morning, Adrian. Woo! We're past the midpoint of the week, Thursday. Thanks what? be to God. Tomorrow, well, we could say today is Friday Eve. It's Friday Eve. It's Friday Eve. So true. Time so to start true. wrapping up that week. It's going to be a good week. Got to catch up on whatever you forgot to do this week. That's right. Got to get those tasks done. You had a list on Monday, and you're like, ah, I can do that tomorrow. And then on Tuesday, you're like, ah, I can do that tomorrow. Well, today's Thursday. It's time to finish up that list. So praise be to God. Okay, Rudy, um, since we're on the eve of the weekend, you got any any plans for the weekend yet? Yeah, you know, I was going to go camping. Oh, really? I was, but um, unfortunately, the weather is going to be horrible where I'm going. Oh. And uh, so we're not going to do it. <laughs> oh, well. Well, how's, uh, how's Maria? Maria's good. She's yeah. doing really well. She's... She's she was sick earlier okay. this week, okay. but now she's fine. Okay. Everything's That's good. everything's good. Praise be to God. Yeah, I'm glad to hear it. Well, everything may be fine with uh, Rudy Carlos and his family, but at 15 past the hour, we're going to be talking about some things that are not so fine. Cardinal Mueller says, "Quote: Pope Francis has uttered plenty of heresies." End quote. That's very concerning. So we're going to talk about that at 15 past the hour. Plus, Cardinal Fernandez says transgender people can be godparents. We're going to discuss what he gets right, what he gets wrong there. Very concerning as well. Plus, another thing, new revolutionary paradigm shift in theology because of a recent moto proprio. And if we have time, because there is so much going on, their cardinal says report he is changing rules for electing a new pope are absolutely false. We are discuss all these things coming up at 15 past the hour. At 30 past the hour, Lloyd De Jong is on to talk about who was Martin Luther and what were his errors. And the next hour, Alan Smith with Bishop Sheen today is going to be on talking about being a priest in your own home. And, of course, we have our Fear and Trembling Game Show. That's coming up today as well. So, a lot going on. You're going to want to stick with us for the entirety of the show. We'll begin with prayer, as is our custom. We're going to be praying for your intentions. Whatever it is that you have going on in your life today, we're praying for that. We're praying that you accomplish all of your tasks this week. We pray for the repose of the souls of your loved ones. For our friends, family, and benefactors, and all those we promise to pray for, for the salvation of souls and the liberty and exaltation of Holy Mother Church, and for the healing of my grandfather. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. May they rest in peace. O Lord, who art ever merciful and bounteous with thy gifts, look down upon the suffering souls in purgatory. Remember not their offenses and negligences, but be mindful of thy loving mercy, which is from all eternity. Cleanse them of their sins and fulfill their ardent desires, that they may be made worthy to behold thee face to face in thy glory. 
May they soon be united with thee and hear those blessed words, which will call them to their heavenly home. Come, blessed of my Father, take possession of the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Eternal Father, I offer thee the most precious blood of thy divine Son, Jesus, in union with the masses said throughout the world today, for all the holy souls in purgatory, for sinners everywhere, for sinners in the universal church, those in my own home and within my family. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. And now your headline news with Rudy Carlos. Good morning. You're listening to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. And here are some of your headlines this morning. Eight are left dead in Texas after a human smuggling pursuit ended in a crash. A suspected migrants smuggler and seven others died after a driver's vehicle collided with an innocent motorist near Batesville, Texas. According to a law enforcement source, the smuggler, who was transporting five suspected migrants and was fleeing from the Texas Department of Public Health uh, Safety Highway Patrol troopers. The smugglers sometimes are from larger metropolitan areas near Houston, Dallas, and San Antonio. Social media websites offer drivers pin drop markers, letting them know where to find the migrants waiting for transportation. The messages include an offer of up to several thousands of dollars to provide transportation to the migrants. Uh, poor, poor people here. May they rest in peace. And uh, the U.S. is experiencing credit card debt and soaring to a record $1.8 trillion. Credit card balances hit $1.08 trillion rather, after increasing by $48 billion, marking the eighth quarter of consecutive year-over-year increases, according to the latest data released by the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. It suggests that trouble might be brewing under the surface. One expert said, often an increase in credit card debt is a sign that the economy is expanding. But if it happens when inflation is still squeezing consumers' budgets, like it is for me, when the cost, when the cost of servicing that debt is high and when the economic outlook is uncertain at best, there's probably a more troubling ex- explanation. An increasing number of consumers are being forced to use credit cards to make ends meet. A very very dangerous situation there. And uh, finally, used vehicle prices are at the record largest maximum drawdown in history. Auto research group uh, firm Cox Automotive, the owner of the closely followed Mannheim Price Index, uh, published new data this week for October that shows wholesale used vehicle prices continue to slide and have reached the lowest level since April of 2021. Sliding demand comes as uh, bank rate data shows that the average borrowing fees for used cars have surged from around 3.85% in February of 2022 to 7.3% this month. That's a huge increase. A rate shock like this, with the used car prices still above pre-COVID highs, has sparked an affordability crisis among consumers. The most important drawdown in history in wholesale used car prices only means that more and more Americans who panic bought uh, their vehicles during the COVID peak will find themselves underwater in auto loans. Ooh, gee, I hope that's not you, dear listener. Now, those are some of your headlines today, but stay tuned on Catholic Drive Time for more. The Gospel of the Day comes from John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. Verses 13 through 15 is about the money changers in the temple, and our Lord comes in and drives the money changers out of the temple. Now, this is important to know. Cornelius Alapide points out that this is actually a separate occasion from the one that's listed in Matthew. 
In Matthew, we see the money changers being driven out, and it, Cornelius Lapide makes the point that this actually probably happened many times throughout our Lord's ministry, where he creates a scourge of little cords and drives out the money changers. I think that's very interesting. In verse 17, it says, And his disciples remember that it was written, The zeal of thy house hath eaten me up. Now I want to read to you what St. Augustine had to say about this passage. He says, quote, Who is eaten up with a zeal for the house of God? And answers, He who strives to amend everything which he sees amiss. He does not rest if he cannot rectify it. He groans and bays within himself. My zeal has caused me to consume away because mine enemies have forgotten thy words. End quote. Now, this is a very beautiful thing to think about. Do you have zeal for the house of God? Do you have zeal for the Lord? If you do, what does Augustine say to you? He says, he who strives to amend everything which he sees amiss. That's the person with zeal. And to me, I read this as say, someone with zeal for the house of God is a counter-revolutionary. Is someone who wants to resist and go against the revolution. Who wants to have a restoration of Christian civilization. That is what it means to have zeal for the house of the Lord. So the question is, is that you? Now, Cornelius Lapide, quoting Venerable Bede, says, Let us have zeal for the house of God, my brethren. If we see a brother who belongs to the house of God, swelling with pride, given to detraction, a slave to drunkenness, and nerved with luxury, disturbed by anger, or subject to any other fault, let us strive so far as in us lies to rebuke him, to amend what is corrupt and perverse. And if we are powerless to amend any of these things, let us not endure them without the most bitter grief, and especially in the house of prayer, where the body of God is consecrated, where without doubt the angels are always present. Let no folly take place. Let us strive with all our might that nothing may hinder our own or our brethren's prayer. This is a hard saying. Who can accept it, right? Do you have zeal for the house of the Lord? Do you have zeal for God? then we should strive to correct things that offend God. And if we can't correct them, Miss Venerable Bede says we should have bitter grief. We should be upset whenever our Lord is offended, whenever the house of God is defiled, when our Lord is disrespected, when his saints are disrespected, when our lady is disrespected. Let us have zeal for the house of God today. Let's have some introspection. We'll be right back. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say, Religion can never depend on minute disputes about doctrine. G.K. Chesterton says that's like saying that life can never depend on minute disputes about medicine. Will the man who says we don't want theologians splitting hairs also say, We don't want surgeons splitting filaments more delicate than hairs. Many a man would be dead today if his doctors had not debated fine shades about doctoring. It's also a fact that Western civilization would be dead today if its doctors of divinity had not debated fine shades about doctrine. We depend on doctors of medicine. We can also depend on the doctors of the church. 
Want more than a minute? Visit our website, chesterton.org. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to pray a chaplet. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed the chaplet of Divine Mercy daily? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Praise be to God. It's good to be with you today. You know, there are some crazy stories in the news today. We'll see how many of these we can get to. We haven't been keeping up too much with the uh, Vatican news. And, geez, I step away for five seconds and there are about a dozen stories that happens. And I'm even wondering, okay, in what order should we go through these, right? Of importance or of a bombshellness? I don't know. But we'll start here. Pope Francis says, quote, trans people, unquote, can be godparents. Homosexual parents can have children baptized. In a recent document signed by Pope Francis and Cardinal Victor Manuel Fernandez, the Vatican stated that transgender individuals and those in same-sex relationships can receive the sacrament of baptism and serve as godparents and witnesses of sacramental marriage under specific conditions. Now, that's kind of a misnomer because the specific conditions are if it doesn't cause scandal. And I'm wondering, in what context does someone who identifies as transgender not cause scandal? That's what I wonder. So... That's very concerning. Now, the question is, so this comes up sometimes whenever you talk about should we baptize people who we don't have a reasonable hope that they are going to raise their kids Catholic? Should they baptize them? And a lot of people in the times, in modern times, say that you should. And Pope Francis has been quoted as talking about a very similar idea. This has not been the case in the history of the church. Why? Because, one, if you baptize a child who has very little hope to be raised Catholic, you are putting a burden on that child that he cannot fulfill. You are putting a burden on that child that he cannot fulfill. Because when you are baptized, our Lord tells us, too much who is given, much is expected. And when you are given the faith, when you are given the indelible mark of baptism, more is expected of you. Not only this... And, well, I guess going to the same point, you are now bound by canonical form. Let me give just one example. If you want to get married as a Catholic, you have to get married in the church. You have to get married by a priest or, or a deacon. And if you do not do this, your marriage is invalid. You do not have a real marriage. So if this person is baptized as a child... And they are then later on in their life, because they were never raised Catholic, they decided to get married outside of the church. Their marriage is invalid. It is not a real marriage. They are living in adultery. Whereas if they were 
mm, another religion, like if they were Protestants, they never were Catholic and they got married outside of the church, their marriage would be a real marriage. It'd be a sacramental marriage because they'd be legitimately baptized in the Protestant church and they would contract the sacrament. If they were never Christian of any kind and got married, it would be considered a valid marriage, but not a sacramental marriage. Whereas if they're baptized Catholic, they are bound by canonical form. And if they get married outside of the church, they are not validly married, nor are they sacramentally married. This is just one example of the burden that you put on a child to baptize them when there is not a a very good hope that they are going to be baptized. Now, then the question also was, can you baptize transgender people? And I would say, if you ask me this question, I'd say, no, of course not. Now, they were said, well, as long as it doesn't cause scandal. Well, let me explain what I mean by why I would say no. The reason why I would say no is because if someone is identifying as transgender, because remember, there's no such thing as a category of transgender person. That's not a real thing. That's like saying, is there a real category of, I don't know, of people who are actually dogs? That's not a thing. Now, there are people out there who may call themselves a dog, who pretend to be a dog or delusional and think those things. And those people probably exist out there. But the actual category of a dog person does not exist. Now, this applies to transgender people. Of course, there are people out there who claim to be the opposite sex. Of course, there are people out there who claim to be transgender. That is a real category of people. But there is no such thing as that, objectively speaking, in reality. There is no such thing. So why bring that up? That is because if someone identifies as transgender, if they are a, quote, transgender person... That means they are buying into the ideology of transgenderism, which is anti-Christian, anti-Catholic. And so if you are a transgender person, someone who holds to those beliefs, then you cannot be baptized. Not because it wouldn't be valid, but because it would be a sacrilege because you are living in a state of mortal sin. And if you baptize someone or give someone any sacraments, And a state of mortal sin. That is a sacrilege. This is something that is not cared about anymore. Where is the zeal for the house of God? Where is the zeal for almighty God? These are sacrileges that are grave offenses. Let me give you another example, maybe less controversial. If you are going to get married, for instance, and you're in a state of mortal sin, this is why... A priest will often hear the confessions of the married couple or the soon-to-be-married couple right before marriage. So that way they can not commit sacrilege because receiving the sacraments is a sacrilege. If you're in a mortal sin and you go to receive Holy Communion, you committed a sacrilege and you need to confess that. If you get confirmed without first going to confession or by not believing, if you are being forced, if you're forcing your child to get confirmed and they don't believe in the faith, That's a sacrilege. The same thing is true of baptism. And then, can trans people be godparents? Pope Francis and Victor Manuel Fernandez allowing this? Saying yes, they can? Absolute absurdity. Because there is no hope that a transgender individual, someone who has that ideology, is going to raise the kids 
in the Catholic faith are going to provide them with the supplementary Catholic education that is necessary. Absolute insanity. Now, this comes right on the heels of this document, this article that came out with LifeSite News. They did an exclusive interview with Cardinal Mueller. And Cardinal Mueller has said, quote, Pope Francis has uttered plenty of material heresies. And this article, this interview, actually came out before this dubia was answered. Because the context of Fernandez and Francis saying these things is actually a dubia asking, can transgender people be godparents? And this is their response. Very concerning. Now, Cardinal Mueller came out. He says, yes, Pope Francis has committed material heresies, but that does not make him not the Pope, is what Cardinal Mueller is saying. The article says that the Holy Cardinal Mueller, the former head of the Holy Office, said that Pope Francis has already uttered plenty of material heresies, but that since these are not formal heresies, Pope Francis has not lost his office. He affirmed the theory of St. Robert Bellarmine, whose opinion was that the Pope would lose his office immediately upon becoming a formal heretic. We have already commented at 1 Peter 5 to find out that to point out that Bellarmine's view here, according to his own estimation, is merely a probable one among other opinions and that the magisterium has not definitively resolved it. Bishop Snyder holds a different view than Bellarmine and thus Mueller, claiming that, quote, even in the case of a heretical pope, he will not lose his office automatically. And there is no body within the church to declare him deposed because of heresy. Therefore, we must follow the surer way and abstain from defending the mere opinions of theologians, even if they be saints, which says that a heretical pope automatically loses his office or can be deposed by the church thereof. Now, Cardinal Mueller argued that though Francis is implicit through his implicit promotion and toleration of same-sex blessings and Holy Communion for the divorced and civilly remarried, the Pope is fostering a, quote, heresy of practice. So a heteropraxy rather than a heterodoxy, a heresy of practice. So not changing the church's teaching, but just allowing bad things to happen. Now, we, the article goes on. We are entering new territory, ladies and gentlemen. The former doctrinal head of the Vatican is accusing the Pope of a species, a two species of heresy. Not only that, he accuses successor in the same office, Tucho Fernandez, of something similar. Mueller noted a statement by Cardinal Victor Fernandez, the new head of the Dicastery for the Doctrine of Faith, on allowing for communion for the, re- the civilly remarried, divorcees, without living in full continence calling the declaration a borderline case when it comes to formal heresy. This is very, very concerning to see this happen. Cardinal Mueller is coming out and saying this, and in the same article, in the same interview, he actually was asked about whether or not, what about the question of Pope Francis's election, the, the dubiousness of the election. And Carl Mueller actually says something here that I completely agree with. He says that mm, it is difficult to judge the validity of Pope Francis' election, but at the same time, the exercise of his office has cured any deficiencies with the election. And that I agree with. Because it seems very, very clear. If, you've, if you read um, the book on St. Gallen Mafia, there is an excellent book put out on the topic. 
it seems very clear that there was a collusion to get Francis elected. But necessarily, this does not invalidate the papacy. Why? Because the way a pope is elected is purely a legal matter. This It changes over time. It used to be that the clergy of Rome elected the pope. As at some points, it was the case where it was by popular acclamation by the people of Rome to desire someone to be pope. And the it's always been understood that the person who has been recognized as pope by the faithful is, in fact, the pope. And it is very clear that the vast, vast, vast majority of people recognize Francis as pope. So despite the fact that there are concerning things during the election of Pope Francis, it would still be the case that he is, in fact, still the pope. And I like the way he says that. He says the exercise of the office has cured any deficiencies that have been with the election. And so for that, I agree with Cardinal Mueller there. Now, these things are happening, and it's nice to see more bishops and more cardinals like Cardinal Sarah, like Cardinal Burke, like Bishop Athanasius Snyder, like Bishop Strickland, uh, coming out and coming to defend the faithful and to defend the faith. There are, it's very concerning time that we live in. But we know that Our Lady has promised us that if we have confidence in her, that in the end her Immaculate Heart will triumph. I imagine the vision of St. John Bosco of the sea, which uh, the ship being the, the church itself, being rocked amidst the stormy sea. And the ship is swaying and it's going to go under. Very terrifying. But it's able to reign above water. How? Because it's anchored to two pillars. Adoration of the Blessed Sacraments and the Blessed Virgin Mary. Those two things, the Holy Sacraments of the Eucharist and the Blessed Virgin, will keep us through the storm. We'll be right back. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say, I accept some of the things the church teaches, but I could never embrace the entire creed because there are some things in it that I just don't have any use for. G.K. Chesterton says, you might as well say that there's a great many things in the Encyclopedia Britannica that you don't have any use for. The church, like the encyclopedia, is meant for everybody, and not just for you. It is meant for everybody, which just happens to include you. The Catholic Church is a combination of things that are nevertheless one thing. We cannot accept only part of it without rejecting all of it. Want more than a minute? Visit our website at www. Dot Chesterton.org. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to meditate on Christ's passion. Wouldn't it be great if everyone meditated daily on our Lord's passion? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time, keeping you informed and inspired. I'm Rudy Carlos, and here are more breaking news and headlines for you. 
Mark Houck sues the Biden administration over arrest and prosecution. Mark Houck announced on Wednesday that he's suing the Biden administration's Department of Justice in an exclusive comment uh, to an outlet. Houck explained why he and his family are seeking $4 million in damages for his dramatic arrest by the FBI in front of his wife and children last year and the malicious and retaliatory prosecution of the administration. And finally, Birch weighs on uh, Ohio vote. Now, uh, this is, uh, this is uh, let's see, his name is uh, Brian Birch. Brian Birch, the, uh, the president of Catholic Vote. A substantial number of Catholics voted to enshrine abortion into Ohio law on Tuesday. This is despite the fact that the bishops and priests in Ohio had preached and promoted and even helped fund the effort to stop this radical change to the Ohio Constitution, wrote Brian Birch president of Catholic Vote. We have to be honest with ourselves, he continues. A three-month push can't make up for three decades of mostly ignoring the issue, he said. If you want to read that article, you can check out catholicvote.org. There's a lot of really great news headlines there, news items. But in any case, may God bless all of your holy efforts today, and thank you for listening to Catholic Drive Time. Thank you, Rudy, for keeping us up to date. Um, Joining us right now is uh, Mark Mark is with the organization over in Ohio. He is here to talk about the situation um, with the amendment getting passed right quick. And so, Mark, uh, we just have a couple minutes with you. The Ohio situation, um, what was the what happened? What's the diagnosis of the problem? How did we end up with a major uh, loss there in, in the state of Ohio? Yeah, I'm not sure I can give you that in a few minutes. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think we've been winning elections over the last several decades leading up to the election of Donald Trump and the overturning of Roe versus Wade, but we've been losing the culture on abortion. To 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 summarize it, I think that would be my diagnosis. Yeah, it's is very very concerning. Is there any hope of a process of a way to try to turn it back around, or is it kind of like, what what's the what's the next step for the pro life movement in Ohio? Well, it's it's pretty dire actually. Politically speaking, there's very little that can be done uh, at the state house now that it's enshrined in the Constitution of Ohio. There's nothing you can do uh, statutorily to curb abortion. We currently have on the books uh, a law that forbids abortion after 22 weeks. Uh, this law, we believe this constitutional amendment, you know, that that could even be struck struck down. But it's possible we're going to see bunches of lawsuits from the pro-abortion side trying to repeal all the laws that have been passed for the last several de- decades. Uh, in fact, even today at the state house, they're going to introduce a bill to start repealing some of the Ohio pro-life restrictions and, uh, and uh, on abortion. So uh, we don't know exactly what the landscape's going to look like, but politically it's pretty dire here. We're going to be looking at laws likely that are going to be similar to, say, New York, California, Illinois, and then, of course, last year Michigan passed a similar constitutional amendment. Wow. Is there going to be any, I'm, I'm trying to think of even a possible solution. Is it even uh, possible to try to uh, the next election, turn around and say, hey, we're going to revoke a constitutional amendment yes. we just passed? Right. I mean, that is that is one option. As you could imagine, that's a very high, high uh, or tall order, let's mm-hmm. say. 
because we we raised probably around $25 million to try to defeat this. The other side probably raised, raised close to $50 million. Wow. So I'm not sure there's a whole lot of appetite, nor is there funding to do what you're suggesting. But the answer is to repeal it, to actually enshrine in the Constitution of Ohio the right to life to the unborn at conception. So, uh, you know, right now, I think as far as it goes, there's going to be up to 11 of these, at least at our, my last count, uh, 11 of these constitutional amendments, be, they may be on the ballot in several states in 2024. So, uh, so you know, abortion is a global problem. Mm-hmm. It's a national problem. And we've we've got to fight these in some of these other states now. So now last question for you here. Um, what speaking of this being a global problem in other states having mm-hmm. similar issues, what can other states learn from the situation uh, and the result of Ohio? Uh, there's a whole lot to learn, but I would just say this. We got to make it about abortion. We got to take our case to the people that abortion is an act of violence that kills a baby and children deserve protection in our laws. I think in Ohio, we we tried to take on some tangential issues like parental rights, uh, that the health restrictions would be removed and this type of thing instead of dealing with the core issue. And that is abortion kills a baby. And that should be outlawed because the unborn deserve protections just like the born. Mm. And until we make that case to the American people, I think we're going to continue to lose some of these battles. Yes, we'll be praying for the situation in Ohio, and I hope everyone prays for their state that they don't end up the same way. They take that uh, advice to heart. And, you know, we have to keep the focus in on the main issue, which is the life of the child. Uh, But God bless you, Mark, and God bless Ohio. Thank you. Um, Joining us right now is Lloyd DeJong, where he's on to talk to us about the situation with Martin Luther. We just passed we just passed a quote unquote Reformation Day, as they like to call it. Um, I wouldn't refer to it as a Reformation Day, more like Revolution Day might be a better term to use. Uh, But good morning to you, Mr. Lloyd. Good morning, Adrian. Thank you for having me on. Praise be to God. It's good to have you. Now, the question uh, immediately, we'll start here, is who was Martin Luther? Who was this man and uh, what was he about? Because there's a lot of things. A lot of people think he's some he was some pious Augustinian monk who decided that he wanted to go against kind of the, the revolutionary forces at his time and inadvertently started the Protestant church. People have been uh, people who've watched my my work online might realize that I've amassed an amount of evidence that shows that well, Luther was abused as a young boy by both his family and apparently at school. So he was physically and emotionally abused, and this seems to have caused some sort of trauma within him. True. And he then, of course, historically, what it would seem is he revived. Wild, Maybe too much. You can go ahead, Mr. Lloyd. Sorry. It would seem then that he revived various heresies from the early years of the church and bundled that into Christianity. So he created a version of Christianity that seems to have mixed a great deal of former heresy, Marcionism, and things like the Manichaean Gnostic heresy. And so how did he end up? Because people, there's a, these kind of myth of, and I don't know how accurate it is, maybe you're familiar, of the the story of how Martin Luther came to the Augustinian religion, uh, religious order to begin with. 
the typical story is that there was he was walking home during a thunderstorm. There was a lightning flash close by, and he prayed and asked for salvation from the storm that he would live. And then on the basis of him surviving that incident, he joined. But there are other stories which I would say these aren't necessarily well supported historically. One is that he ran away from home to avoid a marriage. There's others that he killed someone in a duel, but those are things that I prefer not to speculate on because I would prefer to work with things that we can prove clearly without with, with copious amounts of evidence from within his own writings and historical writings of the period. Mm, yeah, it makes sense. I think that's a fair, fair assessment. Now, it's the theological questions about Luther. Let's start with the 95 Theses. This is uh, this kind of myth of him going to the Wittenberg Cathedral and nailing the 95 Theses to the Wittenberg Cathedral on, quote-unquote, Reformation Day. Uh, tell me about this. So this is a common story attributed to him, but it does seem that historically that story only evolved about 30 years after his death. So it might well be an apocryphal story that was created as a legend. And it would see, it was also normal practice for theologians to pin notices to a board of the church or to an area designated for that. So the, but this seems to have been an embellishment of the Luther story by one of his followers. Yeah, that seems as though that's the case. Now, the actual text of the 95 Theses itself, uh, most people have probably never read it. And so what is the context of the 95 Theses? I've heard people, some people say, well, actually, the 95 Theses are good, uh, but it's not actually, um, it wasn't actually as bad as people make it out to be. And other people say, no, it was completely revolutionary. Um, what say you? I think the 95 Theses are largely a distraction because ostensibly Luther wanted to deal with indulgences in the church. And so let's say you find evidence of financial fraud in your church and you say, well, to solve this financial fraud issue, what we need to do is we need to throw these books out of the Bible. We need to insert these words into the Bible. We need to alter these doctrines from the church. We also need to abolish all monks. We need to then also um, add this new doctrine into Christian belief. So I would think this is a distraction because that may be what is presented as his motivation, but it's not really what seems to have been his ultimate motivation. And one more point. Prior to the 95 Theses... One second. Wrote, we're going to go to a quick break. When we get back, we'll pick up right from where we left off. Um, a second point about the 95 Theses, uh, plus some of the theological errors that came later. We'll be right back with more right after this. Have you heard about life coaching? Hi, this is Coach Felicity with your Stand Tall Today Coaching Minute. Coaching is one of the things Jesus did with his disciples. Whenever they were stuck, overwhelmed, or even struggling a bit, Jesus asked questions that brought clarity and hope. He then used ongoing conversations that helps them to navigate the path and completely change their lives. Just like the disciples, we too can find ourselves feeling stuck, overwhelmed, and struggling a bit. Maybe you need help in your marriage or with a parenting issue. You're navigating a loss, you want to improve your health, or advance your career. At StandTallToday.com, our experienced coaches will help you to take another look at life, renew your hope, get past those challenges, and step into living abundantly. You can find out more about coaching and schedule a free introductory call by visiting us at StandTallToday.com. Listen, life is too short to stay stuck. Contact us at StandTallToday.com. 
Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we'll have you at the gate in plenty of time for you to get to confession before mass this evening. Wouldn't it be great if everyone regularly went to confession? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. And welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. Praise be to God. It's good to be on with you today. We're talking to Lloyd DeJong. He is a great YouTube channel by his name, Lloyd DeJong. If you want to see a lot of content about the quote-unquote reformers, Calvin, Luther, etc., then they're great videos, short, to the point, and I, I think you would enjoy them. So check it out. Just look up his name, Lloyd DeJong on YouTube and you'll be able to find that. But Mr. Lloyd, before I went to break, I had to cut you off there. You were talking about a second thing about the 95 theses and that you think is important for people to keep in mind. Yep. So the Protestants invented the printing press, effectively speaking, and used it to attack the Catholic Church, which is very clear when you look at the history of the Spanish Inquisition. But prior to the 95 theses, he wrote the 97 theses, which were his theses effectively on salvation, predestination, and so on. And when you read these, these are utterly illogical. They're irrational. They contradict each other. So just reading thesis number seven to number 10, and you'll see that he, he contradicts himself and it makes absolutely no sense. But also there, he makes clear that his view aligns with and clearly came prior to the Calvinist view because he actually speaks of double predestination and the that we have no free will. Like one of the quotes is, the will produces only an act that is perverse and evil. So the idea of Calvinism having predestin- well, double predestination and lacking free will in man, that idea actually is present in Luther's words long prior to Calvin. Wow. I didn't realize that was the case. I've actually never even heard of uh, the 97 theses uh, that came prior. So that's very interesting. Now, okay, the 95 theses happen. Um, what happens next in the story of Luther? Is he uh, then reprimanded? Is he exalted? Uh, does he go off and start starting his own church? Does he try to conv- What happens next? Luther becomes effectively a rebel, but also he effectively starts to see himself as a prophet. And if you look at the history of the time, he was hailed as a prophet, which to all intents and purposes, places him on a plane which is far higher than that of any pope. So he rails against the papacy, and he insists, of course, on having his theological views prevail. But he comes at this from a social level of him being the new prophet of Germany, the new prophet who speaks directly for Jesus, who speaks directly for God. I'm obviously not trying to repeat the standard set of the standard narrative here. I'm trying to introduce some new ideas, new facts into this conversation. But Luther was a prophet, and Luther spoke for God. He was inerrant, infallible, and those who did not follow his proclamations were clearly in error and not Christians and thus deviants. Right. I remember there being a, a quote, and maybe you know it because I'm trying to trying to go from memory here, and something along the lines of um, he was asked about why he was going, he wanted to remove or change the text of Holy Scripture to say faith alone, and whenever he was asked, his response was, because Father Luther would have it so, or something along those lines. Correct, correct. So yes, he makes several of these statements. Um, 
So, yeah. Anything else on that point that you want to ask or expand upon? Yeah, the I was I was wondering. Um, you said okay, so you say that there is a, a number of cases. Do is there any other cases of that happening that is of note? Um, for instance, there was several times he had debates with various Catholic theologians, and he was well known in these debates to use harsh language. And Luther wrote in some very harsh language. People say it was he was a man of his time. However, when you read Saint Paul, you know, or you read any of the of the Gospels, you don't find this kind of harsh eschatological, eschatological language, eschatological language, sorry, eschatological language, which utilizes copious references to poop and things of that nature, which is completely non-religious, I would say. So he, for instance, he throws St. Now he uses St. Augustine extensively. Calvin quotes St. Augustine like over 4,000 times to justify their doctrines. However, at one point, Johann Eck corners him and he speaks about the, uh, the Catholic canon, and Luther, at that point, when he cannot refute the claims made by Eck on the basis of the words of Augustine, he then throws Augustine directly under the bus. So Luther would simply say one thing at one time, and then at another time contradict himself completely. He was most definitely a hypocrite. Yeah, I think that's um, very obviously the case. And I think you you did a good video kind of explaining this titled, um, No, Martin, Every Christian is Not His Own Pope and Church. Uh, tell me about that. So, yes, um, Martin Luther actually wrote, now this is in Latin, it's not written in English, and it's, it's interesting that these things were not translated, um, so it's very hard to find these quotes and to, to bring them together into a cohesive narrative, but Martin Luther states in Latin that every Christian is his own Pope and own Church, and he must not or may not follow any doctrine that, that affects his belief. So, in other words, if you interpret the Bible in X manner, you must not entertain any outside ideas that affect your personal, private interpretation. This is the Gnostic view. And in fact, this is something that you find prevalent in both Calvin and Martin Luther's views. Very Gnostic, very much private revelation, not public revelation. Now, it's funny because they're talking about being a hypocrite just a second ago. So he he says this, but then he also condemns every other Protestant group that doesn't agree with him. Correct. But he lacks authority. I mean, he's just now denied early church apostolicity. He's denied the foundations of the Catholic Church's authority of creating the Bible and interpreting the Bible. And Martin Luther then very clearly, as uh, there are various scholars that have written about this, where Martin Luther then destroys, denies, throws out all other previous authority and then places himself as the supreme authority and supreme scriptural interpreter. Right, right. Yeah, I think it's a very, I mean, he makes himself the Pope, even though he's saying every Christian is his own Pope. He's like, actually, I'm the Pope. He makes himself prophet. Mm, Makes a prophet, exactly. Makes himself a prophet. And so here's another interesting thing is most people probably don't know the relationship between the different uh, so-called reformers. They were all contemporaries. They and they pretty much knew each other, spoke to each other. Uh, wrote to each other. Um, do you are you familiar with the relationship between these men and uh, what that was like? I think Martin Luther had an influence on these people. Uh, Mar- well, John Calvin was, I believe, eight years old when Martin Luther was supposedly nailing his ninety-five theses to the door of the church at Wittenberg. So Calvin was very, very young. So clearly, these people grew up in his shadow, and this gave them license to to pursue their own particular theological perspectives. And in many cases, we can relate this to what is very clearly Gnostic perspectives, which Gnosticism has been the most relentless enemy that the church has faced since the beginning. 
and we can see that Luther became Luther was utilizing his own private revelation, for instance, in deciding on the books of the canon. Now, there are many arguments that they've also presented, but the central idea is that Martin Luther proposed that he knew what the right canon was based on inner testimony of the spirit. In other words, trust me, bro, I'm hearing the voices. <laughs> now, John Calvin said the same. He called it the secret testimony of the spirit. And if you look at the French Confession of Faith, they also claim that you feel this warm, fuzzy fire in the belly. You feel this, which the Mormons also claim to feel a fuzzy, warm, burning sensation, and you just know, trust me, bro. So this is pretty much where they ended up. If you read Swingley, for instance, Swingley writes, honestly, it's incoherent babble like that written by a six-year-old. Hmm. You know, there's kind of a shifting just a little bit into a question of uh, a propaganda. I was, I took a, um, a class one time, a long time ago, on the propaganda during the, the the Holocaust. And one of the things that they talked about was how they used the text of Martin Luther as propaganda against the Jews. You, are you familiar with that? Uh, yes, Martin Luther absolutely hated the Jews. He, he completely detested them. Now, obviously, Protestants will, they will present early statements by Martin Luther where he seems to be positive and, you know, hopeful. However, his later statements are very, very negative and incredibly hateful. And of course, this fed directly into the Nazi war machine. They utilized Martin Luther's theology in their own, in their own military doctrine, in their own expansionist doctrine, and for their own destruction of the Jews. This Martin Luther's words paralleled the ideas and the thoughts of the Nazis. In fact, during one trial, one of the um, Julius Streicher, one of the leaders of the SS, stated that if I am guilty and I am to blame, then so should Martin Luther be here at the Nuremberg trials. He should also be a defendant. Wow. I, I didn't I didn't hear that quote before. So that's that's really interesting. I know the the book that they will often quote, I believe the title of the book is On the Jews and Their Lies. And um, Martin Luther advocated yes. for the burning of synagogues and things like that. He advocated for for putting them to labor. Obviously, then you get the concept of the work camps. And um, in fact, in Martin Luther's final sermon, which wasn't recorded in full, but certain impressions were recorded, he states that we should have wiped them out. Or words to that effect. I have the notes with me, but since we're having a more general right. discussion, I'm just right. But because um, I've prepared 45, 44 slides just in case, but we don't have time to go through. <laughs> right. But he says we should have wiped them out. Those are the words of Martin Luther. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I've never actually read the text itself. I just heard about ancillary things about it. So that's, I didn't realize how explicit it was in regards to being almost a one on one correlation to the Nazi. Uh, propaganda yes. war machine so that's interesting now okay well, go lutheran theologians were instrumental in actually developing a lot of the doctrines the nazis used and so the claim of of hitler's pope is false what you have is hitler's protestants that's interesting i, I didn't know that either the okay wow that's really interesting as well um so to go away from that topic in the last minute we have with you to before we run out of time here um the sloppy thinking used as um, used by Martin Luther and the other reformers. Uh, tell me about this. We'll conclude with this idea. Uh, they were completely irrational. Remember, they were feelings-based, solar fifis, right, as I call it. So it was purely based on the, this whole Gnostic idea of you will feel it. You will simply know through the voices in your head. 
So the inner testament of the spirit, which has no way, you have no way to verify that historically, you have no way to verify that against authority. It is purely personal assertion. And when you read Martin Luther's works and you assess them using basic um, logic, propositional logic, Martin Luther is incoherent. So if people want to uh, learn more information, where can people find out, uh, watch some of these videos? They're, they're very short, straight to the point. I, I think they're very uh, worthwhile. Where can people keep in touch with you? Thank you. I have a very active YouTube channel. That's uh, LloydDeYoung.com. My surname is DeYoung. So double L-O-Y-D-D-E-J-O-N-G-H. And also I have a page on Coffee.com, K-O-F-I.com where I publish these articles and I accompany the articles with videos. I have longer and shorter videos where people can and watch and I provide heavily sourced um, material. So I provide all of the references available for download for viewing. I quote the sources, I show them. So this is not just speculation. I'm working directly off Martin Luther's materials. Yes, I think it's great, and I haven't seen any other channels that are that go into all these uh, quotations and things that are just not available in uh, pop apologetics. So I'm very appreciative of that. Uh, but God bless you, Mr. Lloyd, and uh, have a blessed day. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. God bless. You have a wonderful day too. And that's going to do it for the first hour. If you'd like to join us in the second hour, we'd love to have you. We're going to speak with Alan Smith with Bishop Sheen today. Bishop Sheen today coming up. We're going to talk about being the priest of your home. What does that mean? And what can Fulton Sheen teach you about doing this, being that priest of your home? Very interesting. We'll be right back with more right after this. Uh, Started drinking beer on Saturday nights, uh, sleeping in on Sunday mornings, missing mass, and it just became a pattern and continued. Without God, I don't know where I'd be right now. I feel like I'm whole again. I know the importance of the Eucharist. I know the importance of the sacraments that I didn't know at a young age. I follow God's will because my desire is to get to heaven. Our our lives are rich and full by being members of the church. If you've been away from the Catholic Church, visit catholicscomehome.org. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Haven't you honestly wondered, why do all the different denominations break away from each other? Timeline, 1500s, Luther breaks from the Catholic Church, 16th century. John Knox is influenced by Calvin and breaks from Luther, thus the Presbyterians. 17th century, John Smith then breaks away and starts the Baptist. 18th century, Wesley breaks and starts the Methodists. Even crazier are all the scores of non-denominational individuals who break from each other, generally due to cosmic ego and, quote, a new revolution. Revelation. Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. Judges 21 says, quote, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which is right in his own eyes. Secondly, physics. Once the dam breaks, water goes where it will. Luther broke Canon Law 331, which says about the Pope, By virtue of his office, he possesses supreme, full, immediate, and universal ordinary power in the church. And thirdly, my take. Gifted theologians can be just like my fourth grade friend who said, I'm taking my bat and ball and going home. Listening to Catholic Radio and getting excited about learning about your Catholic faith can be, well, infectious. I converted in my 20s to a Protestant, and uh, this is the first time I've heard Catholic Radio. I've been listening to it for a couple hours driving. First time I've ever heard Catholics actually excited about what they believe. I'm going to tell you what, this has been uh, one of the greatest two hours that I've had in a while. And a special thank you to our donors for keeping Catholic Radio on the air. Thank you, and may God bless you. I also want to dialogue with all the young people 
Catholics are committed to building a society which is truly tolerant and inclusive. Let us treat others with the same passion and compassion with which we want to be treated. Come and see what good things God is waiting for you at catholicscomehome.com. Welcome back to Catholic Drive Time. This is your host, Adrian Fonseca. It's so good to be on with you today. No matter what's going on in the world, well, it's still good to be here. Because in the end, my immaculate heart will triumph. Those are the words of Our Lady of Fatima. She promised us that there's going to be some good news in the end. Things could get as bad as you want them to. The devil will have his hour, but God will have his day. A great quote from Fulton Sheen. And speaking of Fulton Sheen, we got Alan Smith on the line right now talking about Bishop Sheen today. Uh, good morning to you, Alan. Uh, good morning, Adrian. Thanks for having me this morning to... Uh, warm my heart. Uh, of course, I'm up here in Canada, and it's uh, 30 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, we had freezing rain last night. Ooh. So uh, it's just always nice to think of Our Lady Guadalupe, the South, nice warm. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so this this is good therapy for me. But uh, I know uh, listening to you earlier, you know, that you kind of um, warned everyone that we're going to be talking about you know, men taking their position and uh, the need for, um, you know, men to take that role as the priest of their own homes, uh, the domestic church, church, we like to say. And, and I think I was reflecting and thinking, wow, yeah, this is an issue that needs to be talked about. Um, um, it's, it's, it's lacking in society today. And, and again, how we got there, um, that'll take another program altogether to unpack that. Uh, but it's a reality, and uh, I'm blessed in that I get to speak at men's conferences, and one of the talks that I give is titled, Priest, Prophet, and King, Where Do I Begin? Where do I begin? And it's so important because I think people who are listening today are saying, yeah, that's a great idea, men taking that position as the priest, prophet, and king of their homes, but where do we start? Where do we start? And where I always point to is, well, let's look to Fulton Sheen, who spoke about the priesthood, both the domestic priesthood and, of course, in the church. But still, he's got lots of um, sound advice for us to uh, put into practice in our own homes. Now, to begin our topic on the priest is not his own, I think it's really interesting how you decided to put as a subtitle adding to Fulton Sheen's text there, Becoming the Father God Has Called You to Be. Because initially, this book was primarily intended for those, for like a priest retreat. Um, so tell me about why you kind of decided to try to pitch this as a way that even a someone who will never be a priest, someone who is a father of children and a husband to a wife, um, can still benefit from this book. Right. 
Well, I think Fulton Sheen knew that the graces of our baptism incorporated uh, a priestly element to it. Um, yes, there's going to be men that feel that call to be priest. And uh, it's quite... Um, it's quite a large number, um, you know, percent, percentage-wise. Um, Fulton Sheen spells out uh, surveys that were done. And, you know, 30 and 40% of all men feel this call to the priesthood. So it's it's put in God. God puts this in our hearts, this calling to be priestly. And uh, so it's just natural for us to do this. But what I saw was, you know, as I travel, you know, I see this need that uh, we need more priests. I mean, the harvest is plenty, the laborers are few, but that also applies to the domestic church. Um, so I think it's the sense of, I saw a need there. And it's this idea of the subtitle of the book, Becoming the Father God Has Called You to Be. Well, you receive this gift in your baptism to be priest, prophet, and king. Now, now become the priest, prophet, and king God called you to be. And I think this is one of these things in society. We just need more men thinking like priests, thinking about sacrificing their lives, thinking about leading their families in prayer. All of these things. And I think the world would be a better place if we were more priestly as men. And uh, so I think it's this idea. It's just needed. And you know, I watch other podcasts and I see many of the men's ministry movement. Um, these people in the men thing, I think of the Catholic gentlemen, uh, the men's academy, they're all putting out videos saying that fathers need to become the priest of their home. And so it's not just Fulton Sheen, um, you know, uh, beating on the drum. It's many people now saying, ah, I think this is the answer to a lot of our problems. It's let's let men take their position as priest in the domestic church at home. And so um, it's a big calling. It really is. But I just saw that need. And I think the subtitle is perfect. Becoming the father, fathers that God has called you to be. And, and that could bring to, to priest also, because many priests that I give the book to say, you know, I read the book and it just renewed my priesthood. It gave me focus of what I really am called to be. And as a, you know, sacramental priest, and of course, as you read this, you see the urgency, but also the beauty of the priesthood. Uh, so you want to celebrate that. You know, Alan, as you're, you're speaking about this, I, I think about raising children. And I've had conversations with Adrian, you know, off the air and sometimes on the air as well about this uh, sort of crisis that we have. The children grow up and uh, they grow in, in years, but oftentimes not in maturity. And I'm thinking to what you just said is there's a, a crisis in vocations as well. And I think that the logical place that we should start, and, and this ties into our conversation right now, is is to form authentically Catholic families where the the husband is truly the head of the of the household and directing his children, catechizing his children, uh, being a great example for his children so that they can contemplate uh, that vocation in him, but also that vocation which is in them. Um, what would you say is, uh, I mean, because this is, this is a very simple thing to do. I mean, I, I almost don't want to ask you, well, how do you start doing this? It, it seems a lot more simple than it is, right? Well, well, it is, but I think the sin of pride creeps in 
all the time. It's just like, and also, um, because again, some fathers may think, I'm going to sound weird leading mm. my children in prayer. Um, if they see me come in with the Bible or a children's catechism, you know, what will the neighbors think? What will my mm -hmm. kids think? You know, and, and of course the devil is a liar and a thief. And so he wants to rob us of that joy. He wants us to have doubt. But yet I think you just have to start and try. And I think Fulton Sheen, you know, gives, uh, encouragement to all fathers when he says, you know, this is a ministry of preaching and praying. Um, you know, my mom always said to me, and of course my dad, uh, you know, gave the thumbs up to whatever mom said, but you know, your faith is learned in the home. It's not necessarily learned in the school system. It's learned and practiced in the home and the fathers can be those leaders and make good commentary. And of course, develop this character as someone that the children can confide in. Uh, the, the father becomes the counselor and priest, of course, counsel and give instruction and counsel. So it's that idea, but again, playing the role, thinking of what does a priest do? And what a priest does is catechize. I think one of the best descriptions I ever heard of a priest is a priest is someone who brings Jesus to the people and in turns brings the people to Jesus. And, and I think that's what fathers need to do. Fathers need to bring Jesus to their children, their wives, their wife. I didn't say wives. But, <laughs> not know, plural. Their spouse. <laughs> yeah, not plural. But of course, then, um, have them come to Jesus. So it's, 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 it's beautiful, but you caught me there on my grammar. So <laughs> anyway, but you get the idea. Wow. That's, that's great. And you know, you were talking about this and I'm looking at, at the book and you mentioned about our Lord or about a priest being a counselor. And I'm also thinking of a priest as shepherd, right? A priest is a pastor of souls. And the same way we think, okay, what does a shepherd do? A shepherd leads their flock, right? To green pastures, but it also guards the, sh the sheep against wolves. And what is the role of a father? Alan, can you uh, tell me about this analogy? Yeah, no, it's a beautiful analogy because I think what we have to do is look and think of what is the priest doing in my church down the road? Yes, he's tending to the sheep, the souls that come to him. Of course, he wants to feed those souls with the Eucharist. And yet then we have to look at our own situation and say, yeah, uh, I need to give my children good instruction to warn them of the lies that will be said when they leave the door every day. I need to protect them physically sometimes and accompany them, um, you know, to their schools or to the mall or wherever. Um, some children may say, Dad, you know, you're smother me, smothering me. No, 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 I'm protecting you. And I've had many uh, young ladies say to me, uh, you know, I'm so glad my dad protected me. Uh, I didn't like it at the time. But now that I'm older, I just love that my dad took that interest in protecting me. And so, of course, they tell their friends and um, the news spreads about these good holy examples. And I think it's, again, the good shepherd uh, lays down his life for his sheep. He puts his life on the line and his reputation and sometimes even the reputation with their children to think my kids are not going to like me if I do this. But still, at the end. Um, it's a good result. It's a good result. So uh, again, I like that analogy, the shepherd and his sheep. 
And I think we need to be more shepherding as fathers and also to protect our wives. And I think, uh, <laughs> I should say our spouse, you got me again here, but uh, still this whole idea of do we want to defend everyone in our household. So uh, there's so much there. There's so much there. But uh, Sheen gives us analogy after analogy after analogy in this book. And I think there's something for everyone. Um, I think we're all weak in one area or two. And this gives us, uh, you know, sound biblical principles of how to take up our position as priests in our home. I think it's I think it's really helpful, though, to have uh, all of these different analogies, all of these uh, different um, visuals that we can we can imagine in our mind when it comes to thinking about how to start becoming that that priest of the household, uh, because men, you know, I think I think men most of the time are, are visual learners and uh, and and they need this this concept, right? Because I I think about like being a kid and you know kids, are, especially boys, are so interested in comic books and they look to the the superhero and and they want to be the superhero. And I, I don't know if we necessarily grow out of that. And that's why we can look at our Lord and, and so many different aspects of, of his life and take that, uh, as a way to start this. Especially for me, when you say that, um, that being a father really is sacrificial. You know, you have to sacrifice a little bit. You have to put yourself in harm's way to defend your family. I think that's a really beautiful visual, uh, for me. Right. And it's, it's going against the grain. Um, narrow is the path that leads to life. Uh, what we're proposing today here is um, going down a narrow path as far as society is concerned, uh, yet uh, is what the Lord calls us to. Uh, but I always think of the example of Jesus as priest. Um, he came into this world to die. That was his mission, to sacrifice his himself and to give himself so that we could live. And I think that's, again, that holy example that every father can uh, pick up and say, yeah, I do want to be like Christ in that way. Uh, but we have to have our minds fixed on Christ. And I think that's part of the failure of men. We we lose sight of what our goal is, that it's heaven. We lose sight of who our Lord is. And sometimes we substitute other lords in our lives. But yet Jesus is the Lord of Lords, and so we need to go to him. And I think this is what um, I think Fulton Sheen has said to over this, I like to say the centuries, but the decades, is that he's saying, just keep trying. Pick up your cross and follow me. And that's what I encourage fathers, just pick up your cross daily and follow the Lord. Try to do one or two things each day. Be intentional. Be intentional. Maybe it's a kind word to your wife. Maybe it's a kind act to one of your children. Uh, but again, always never miss the opportunity to lead them in prayer, to talk about the Lord, to talk about things of heaven, and to make them know that this is a pilgrimage. I like to say to my children, we're camping. We're camping. Mm. And we want to be happy campers. So while we're here camping on this earth, let's again have fun and uh, but love the Lord. And and that's going to do it for Bishop Sheen today. We'll pick up the conversation next week with more. We'll be right back with Fear and Trembling right after this. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. 
Have you ever heard someone say that we should stop opposing things like abortion and homosexual unions because there's simply nothing we can do about it? You can't prevent that stuff. It's inevitable. So just accept it. Well, G.K. Chesterton says the other word for inevitability is impenitence. We have let ourselves be dominated by the notion that there's no turning back. This idea is rooted in materialism and the denial of free will. Now this modern refusal to undo what has been done is not only an intellectual fault, it is a moral fault also. It is not merely our mental inability to understand the mistake we have made, it's also our spiritual refusal to admit that we have made a mistake. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org I was raised a Catholic and went to church every Sunday faithfully. I met a boy and he was non-Catholic, so I left the church to be with him. When I was away from church, I yearned to be home. What brought me back was my longing for the Eucharist. The Eucharist fills me with a spirit that you can't find anywhere else. I have a peace when I walk through the doors of the Catholic Church, like that's where I belong. We invite you to take another look at the Catholic Church. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org today. Welcome to another round of fear and trembling. (laughs) The Catholic Trivia Game Show that helps you work out your salvation by the seat of your pants. It's a 50-50 chance and prizes are involved. Avoid the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Call now to take your shot. 877-757-9424. That number to call to be part of our game show, Fear and Trembling, where we're going to give away prize and you could be the winner. That number, 877-757-9424-877-757-9424. That's the number. And you may be asking, what number? Why am I going to call that number? Well, I'll tell you. We're going to give away a prize tomorrow. And if you get the questions right today, you will have a chance to win that prize. Now, I have three Catholic trivia questions here. And the trick is, I'm not going to ask you the questions. I'm going to ask Rudy the questions. He's going to give me an answer, and it's your job to tell me whether or not he is right or whether or not he is wrong. And every right answer will go into the coffee cup of divine providence to win this week's prize. Rudy, what could they win? Praise be to God. This week, we are giving away a book by our good friend, Alan Smith, who is uh, with Bishop Sheen today, in case you uh, caught that interview with him just a few moments ago. He was inspiring us us men, us husbands, to go and become the priests of the household, well, he's got more advice for you. He's got a book here that's called The Holy Hour Prayer Book, which will plant the seeds in your heart to begin making a holy hour, just like Fulton Sheen. Fulton Sheen, he made a holy hour every single day. He would he would not miss it. That was integral to everything that he did. That's what he said himself. Now, the trick is, You don't have to go in front of the Blessed Sacrament and spend your holy hour there. That is the ideal thing that you can do. However, you can do it also at home. And I hope this book, whoever wins it this week, will be inspired to do that. Now, this book, again, was generously given to us by our good friend in the Great White North, Alan Smith. Alan is our resident Fulton Sheen expert, and he's a zealous defender of our Lord 
You can check out his other books and all his other information, interviews, and all kinds of really interesting stuff at bishopsheentoday.com. That's uh, bishopsheentoday.com. Thank you, Alan. You know, it's funny. Have you ever, you know the story of the time where he almost missed his holy hour? Uh, yes, I do recall that story, but remind me again. So Bishop Sheen, I'll tell you the, the five-second version of the story. This Bishop Sheen was uh, in a city that wasn't his own, mm-hmm. and he was walking around. He's like, okay, I need to get to my holy hour. So he went to the parish hall and they, um, the parish office and got them to open the door to the adoration chapel or to the chapel. So he goes into the chapel and sits there in adoration. The hour is up, and he goes to leave. And remember, this is in the 21st century. All the safety codes haven't been put in place yet. And so he goes to leave, and the janitor had locked him in. Oh, no. And so he was trapped oh. in the chapel. And he was like, I got to go. I got things to do. And so <laughs> the janitor sees Bishop Sheen crawling out of a window to get out of the church in the middle of the night. <laughs> so there you go. Bishop Sheen never missed a holy hour. Praise be to God. Joining us right now is Bill and Samuel. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. How are y'all doing this morning? We're great. And where are y'all off to? Well, Samuel is uh, going to school and I'm going to work. Samuel, what university do you go to? Not that old. Oh, you're not that old. You're not that old. You're not in college yet. What grade are you in, Samuel? Third. Third? Wow. Yes, wow. Praise be to God. I didn't realize he was he was so old. Uh, Samuel, uh, what's your favorite subject in third grade? Science. Science. He is clearly going to be a great scientist. I, I'm very I'm very impressed already. All right. Well, let's hope. That you are a scientist for the Lord and you are know the sacred science that is theology. So are y'all ready to play? Are y'all familiar with the game? Do y'all know how to play? Yes. Yeah. Oh, I and I almost forgot. What city are y'all calling in from? Kerrville. Kerrville, Texas. Kerrville, Texas. Kerrville. Very nice. Praise be to God. We got a... We got Kerrville on the board. So there you go, folks. All right. So y'all familiar with the game. Y'all know how to play. Um, is there, do you know whether or not you can trust Rudy today or not? What are you thinking? I think we can some, and then we can't some. All right. <laughs> All right. So we'll find out. Let's see if, uh, if he is trustworthy for some, or maybe he's going to be trustworthy for all. Maybe he'll be untrustworthy mm. for all. We'll find out. All right. Question number one for you, Rudy. The question on the board is, what does the liturgical symbol of salt stand for? You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its taste, Mm. it's worthless. It's meant to be thrown out and stomped upon, right? So what does that salt symbolize? It symbolizes spice. It symbolizes flavor. This is what we're called to be, and it symbolizes specifically wisdom. Wisdom. Mm. Wisdom is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. All right. Bill and Samuel, 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, what does the liturgical symbol of salt stand for? Rudy says it's wisdom. What say you, Bill and Samuel? We're going to agree with him. You're going to agree with them. All right. Let's see. Survey says that is correct. Way to go. 
Uh, clearly, Samuel is an expert on the sacred sciences, <laughs> is what I'm noticing. Oh, very I good. You, Daddy. You did help me. Uh, we, Samuel, we know your dad is just the the mouthpiece. You're the you're the brains <laughs> behind the operation. Uh, we we're we're well aware. Are y'all ready for question number two? We're ready. All right, let's do it. Question number two for you, Rudy. Which popular saint? Now remember, popular. This is the key word here because there is a number of saints called this. It's called the Hammer of Heretics. And he's entombed the Basilica in Padua, Italy. All right. So there's a lot of conflicting comments about this, right, in history. Mm. Just like this uh, Martin Luther conversation we had earlier with Lloyd de Jong. It's actually uh, St. Boniface. But St. Boniface, they think that he was cutting down a tree with an axe. He was literally obliterating it with a hammer. Oh, wow. It wasn't an axe. It was actually a hammer. And it's misinterpreted because of the paintings. But it's actually St. Boniface. St. Boniface, hammer of heretics is what you're saying. Exactly. Not axe of heretics. Mm -mm. Imagine chopping down a tree with a hammer. He did it. I don't have to imagine. Okay. He obliterated the tree. All right. There you go, folks. Bill and Samuel, 15 seconds on the clock. The question on the board is, which popular saint called the Hammer of Heretics is entombed in the Basilica in Padua in Italy? What say you, Bill and Samuel? We're going to give that one a big no. That's a big no, he said. <laughs> what? All right. Let's see. Survey says... That is correct. Mm. Way to go. All right. All right. Fair the, enough. The correct answer is St. Anthony of Padua, the miracle worker. You know, I did a number of videos on St. Anthony of Padua for America Needs Fatima hmm. um, on different miracles he did and the heretics that he hammered. Um, not with a physical hammer. It was a, <laughs> it was a, uh, it was a verbal hammer. He, he demolished them. It was, uh, there, if, if YouTube existed back then, it would have been, um, Anthony of Padua destroys heretics. And then it would have been a YouTube video of him like just tearing down their arguments. It would have been great. It would have been great. All right, Bill and Samuel. Y'all are doing wonderful. Samuel, I know you're uh, you're giving all, your dad all the answers, but are you ready for question number three? Yes, but I'm about to leave. Oh, well, then we better hurry up. Question number three for you, Rudy. The question is, what saint originated the custom of erecting the nativity scene? The nativity scene is a visual reminder of something Mm. sacred. Mm -hmm. And who would need the visual reminders Mm -hmm. more than the Aztecs? Because they had a literal alphabet of pictures. And it was St. Juan Diego who erected the nativity scene in order to teach the Aztecs about the incarnation of the word. Okay, so you're saying San Juan Diego. San Juan Diego. All right, Bill and Samuel. Juan Bill and Samuel. The question is, 15 seconds on the clock, what saint originated the custom of erecting the nativity scene? No. Rudy says it was Juan Diego. Samuel, give me the answer there. No. No. Cool. All right, let's find out. Survey says... That is correct. Untrickable. Way to go, Samuel. Amazing. Genius. God bless you, Samuel. I hope you have a great day at school, and uh, please pray for me. I'll be praying for you. We'll do that. Thank you very much for letting us play the game. Amen, amen. We're going to put you on hold, so don't go anywhere so we can get Dad's information, so we can send him the prize should we draw your name out. Um, So God bless you guys. You too. Thank you so much. So much. I'm going to put you all on hold there.
Now, before we go, I did want to tell you the origin of the nativity scene. Are you familiar with it? The origin of the nativity scene is St. Francis of Assisi went to the Holy Land. And while he was there, he was walking and round and he went over to see where the uh, birth of Christ was. And he was like, whoa, everybody needs to see this and have devotion to where the word became flesh. And so he started erecting nativity scenes and it became popular all over the world. And, you know, I always think if we can meditate upon the nativity, the third joyful mystery every day, why can't I have my nativity scene and my Christmas decorations on all year long? So um, maybe I'll do that. Or would I get too much hate? I don't know. What are your thoughts? Let me know. Um, join us online and send me an email. And I would love to know what your thoughts are. Should I keep put a nativity scene up and keep it around all year long? That's the question. But that's going to do it for the radio side. Um, we... Well, not, we're not live at the moment. We're having some technical problems on our live streaming side. But we will see you back tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Central, 7 Eastern, across the Guadalupe Radio Network and Catholic Spirit Radio. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to be talking with Aaron Sang. Aaron Sang, with the, he's the one who did the editing for the new catechism called Credo by Bishop Athanasius Snyder. It's endorsed by Scott Hahn, by Cardinal Sarah, and by many other notable people. So we're talking about that tomorrow morning. You're not going to want to miss it. But God bless you. God love you. And we'll see you very soon. God love you. Thank you for joining us on Your Catholic Drive Time where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired. Join us Monday through Friday at the same time, right here on your favorite Catholic radio station. Don't forget to connect with us. Just go to facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Again, that's facebook.com forward slash Catholic Drive Time. Be sure to share more than just us today. Share Jesus with everyone you meet. Bye now, and God love you. Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. The dedication of the Basilica of St. John Lateran. The Holy Sacrifice of the Mass is offered for those joining us on Guadalupe Radio, online, and those here present. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Lord be with you. My brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries.
I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, Ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Kyrie eleison, Christ eleison, Kyrie eleison, Gloria in excelsis Deo, et in terra pax hominibus, bonae voluntatis, laudamus te, benedicimus te, adoramus te, glorificamus te, Gratias agimus tibi, propter maniam gloriam tuam, Domine Deus rex celestis, Deus pater omnipotens, Domine fili unigenite, Jesu Christe, Domine Deus Agnus Dei, Filius Patris, Qui tolis peccata mundi, Miserere nobis, Qui tolis peccata mundi, Sushi pede precationem nostram, qui sedes ad exteram patris, miserere nobis, quoniam tu solus sanctus, tu solus dominus, Tu solus altissimus, Iesu Christe, cum sancto spiritu, in gloria Dei Patris. Amen. Let us pray. O God, who from living and chosen stones prepare an eternal dwelling for your majesty, increase in your church the spirit of grace you have bestowed, so that by new growth your faithful people may build up the heavenly Jerusalem. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen.
A reading from the book of the prophet Ezekiel. The angel brought me back to the entrance of the temple, and I saw water flowing out from beneath the threshold of the temple toward the east. For the facade of the temple was toward the east. The water flowed down from the southern side of the temple, side of the altar. He led me outside to the north gate and round to the other outer gate face in the east, where I saw water trickling down from the southern side. He said to me, This water flows into the eastern district, down upon the Abra, and empties into the sea, and the salt water which it makes fresh whenever the river flows. Every sort of living creature that can multiply shall live, and there shall be abundant fish. For wherever this water comes, the sea shall be made fresh. Along both banks of the river, fruit trees and every kind of kind shall grow. Their leaves shall not fade, nor their fruit fail. Every month they shall bear fresh fruit. For they shall be watered by the flow from the sanctuary. Their fruit shall serve for food, and their leaves for medicine. The word of the Lord. Responsorial Psalm. The waters of the river gladden the city of God, the holy dwelling of the Most High. God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in distress. Therefore, we fear not, though the earth be shaken, and the mountains plunge into the depth of the sea. The waters of the river gladden the city There is a stream whose runtless gladdens the city of God, the holy dwelling of the Most High. God is in the midst. He shall not be disturbed. God will help it at the break of dawn. The waters of the city of God. The Lord of hosts is with us. Our stronghold is the God of Jacob. Come, behold the deeds of the Lord, the astounding things he has wrought on earth. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, you are God's building, according to the grace of God given to me. Like a wise master building, I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. But each one must be careful how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one that is there, namely Jesus Christ. You not, you do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For the temple of God, which you, you are, is holy. The word of the Lord. Alleluia, alleluia, alleluia. I have chosen and consecrated this house, says the Lord, that my name may be there forever. Alleluia. 
阿肋呀，阿肋呀。The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Since the Passover of the Jews was near, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He found in the temple area those who sold oxen, sheep, and doves, as well as the money changers seated there. He made a whip out of cords and drove them all out of the temple area with the sheep and the oxen, and spilled the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And to those who sold doves, he said, "Take these out of here, and stop making my father's house a marketplace." His disciples recalled the words of Scripture. Zeal for your house will consume me. At this, the Jews answered and said to him, "What sign can you show us for doing this?" Jesus answered and said to them, "Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up." The Jews said, "This temple has been under construction for forty-six years, and you will raise it up in three days." But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Therefore, when he was raised from the dead. His disciples remembered that he had said this, and they came to believe the scripture and the word Jesus had spoken. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus. Today we celebrate this special feast of the dedication of the Basilica of Saint John Lateran. Saint John Lateran is not a saint. It's、uh, it's the basilica, which would be the cathedral for the city of Rome. But it was built on the Lateran Hill. The Lateran was a very prestigious family, who had a lot of money, and there was a house church that was there very, very early on in the early church when Peter, probably Peter and Paul, were were preaching there or soon after. And so, on the Lateran Hill was eventually built this beautiful and amazing basilica, which you can still visit today. And so they named it or they dedicated it to Saint John the Evangelist and Saint John the Baptist. Thus, it became they just truncated all that Saint John Lateran. So remember, Saint John Lateran is not a saint, but we celebrate this day as a feast because it is a, a, the dedication of a church. Which you've ever seen a dedication of the church, you should go. Every Catholic should see the dedication of a church. A beautiful celebration whereby the, the walls of the church are anointed, the candles are lit, the altar is anointed with chrism oil, just smeared all over. Because it's important that we recognize that, because a church is, of course, a holy dwelling, a place where we come to worship God rightly. But also reminds us that our souls are a temple of of God. This is what Saint Paul says: "Is do you not know that you are temples of the Holy Spirit? That God resides there. We too have been anointed. We too have become an altar where it's Christ can be sacrificed for us. We bring all that's where we come to worship Him here." So those two things kind of go together, and in fact, in Saint John Lateran Basilica, there's written on the outside, the church is Mater et Magister, Mother and Teacher. So, like a good mother, the church guides us, protects us, caresses us, especially when we've fallen, lifts us up, cares for us when we're sick. But it's also too that sort of more masculine side of being the Magister, the Teacher. Which guides us sometimes has to prod us in the right direction. I wouldn't say kick, but let's say move us. You know when we need to. That's why the bishop staff has that has a, a poke on the very end, and of course the curl at the at the very top. That is to bring us when we're wandering astray, and to prod us when we need to get moving. 
In the same way, the church as magister, as teacher, does this with us individually as Christians. May uh, we be inspired by the fact that we are the temples of God, that he resides within us, and he also calls us to a sacred place, a church, a basilica, in order to worship him rightly, so that our lives may be completely directed and, and, and lived for Christ. Amen. Let us bring our prayers and petitions before our Heavenly Father. We pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, the Bishop of Rome, for all bishops throughout the world. Let us pray to the Lord. Through the intercession of St. John, the Evangelist and St. John the Baptist, may we be more clearly and more purely a temple fit for God. Let us pray to the Lord. For the sick, for the suffering, those who have wandered away from the faith, may they brought, be brought back through God's mercy and his tender care. Let us pray to the Lord. We pray for peace throughout the world, especially in the Middle East and in Ukraine. Let us pray to the Lord. For the holy souls in purgatory, for all those who have died, may they rest in peace. Let us pray to the Lord. Finally, for the intentions of those joining us on Guadalupe Radio, online, those here present, those who have asked us to pray for them, for these special intentions, let us pray to the Lord. Heavenly Father, hear our prayers and grant our petitions through Christ our Lord. Amen. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you, fruit of the earth and work of human hands, it will become for us the bread of life. Blessed be God forever. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you, fruit of the vine and work of human hands, will become our spiritual drink. Blessed be God forever. Pray, dearly beloved, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. Accept, we pray, O Lord, the offering made here, and grant that by it those who seek your favor may receive in this place the power of the sacraments and the answer to their prayers through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is truly right and just our duty and our salvation, always and everywhere to give you thanks, Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God. 
for in your benevolence you are pleased to dwell in this house of prayer in order to perfect us as the temple of the Holy Spirit, supported by the perpetual help of your grace and resplendent with the glory of a life acceptable to you. Year by year you sanctify the church, the bride of Christ, foreshadowed in visible buildings, so that rejoicing as the mother of countless children, she may be given her place in your heavenly glory. And so with all the angels and saints, we praise you as without end we acclaim. Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Pleni Sunceli et Terra, Gloria Tua, Hosanna in excelsis, Benedictus, qui venit in nomine Domini, Hosanna, in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and, giving thanks, broke it gave it to his disciples saying take this all of you and eat of it for this is my body which will be given up for you in a similar way when supper was ended he took the chalice and once more giving thanks he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the Blessed Apostles, and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life and may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ.
through him and with him and in him. O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command, informed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church. Graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Peace of the Lord be with you always. It's offered to the sign of peace. Agnus Dei, qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tollis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, Qui tollis peccata mundi, dona nobis pace. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not worthy you should enter under my roof. Only say the word and my soul shall be. Be built up like living stones into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. For those unable to receive communion and those joining us online and through Guadalupe Radio, 
Let us pray together the act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Let us pray. O God, who chose to foreshadow for us the heavenly Jerusalem through the sign of your church on earth, grant, we pray, that by our partaking of this sacrament we may be made the temple of your grace and may enter the dwelling, the dwelling place of your glory through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. Bow down for the blessing. May God, the Lord of heaven and earth, who has gathered you today for the dedication of the church, make you abound in heavenly blessing. Amen. And may he who has, who has willed that all his scattered children should be gathered together in his Son, grant that you may become his temple and the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And may when you are thoroughly cleansed, may God dwell within you and grant you to possess with all the saints. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, thrust into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Prayer of Deliverance Almighty God and Father, we beg Thee through the intercession and help of the Archangels St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore Thee, deliver us, O Lord. 
from every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Celebrating the culture of life, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul.